is Analog Spectrum. Get ready to hear words and stuff that will honestly blow your mind. Recording in progress. Yeah, we're recording. What do you know? <laughs> this is Analog Spectrum. You have Tony uh, with you tonight, and it is nighttime where I'm at. And I'm here with Doug. Doug, say hello. No, I will not say hello. Oh, my God, he's a child. I know. I'm <laughs> a man child. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, hey, guess what? It's nighttime here, too. I'm in New Orleans. Yeah. So I just got back from New Orleans. And uh, and Doug Doug were like uh, two ships passing in the night, and two ships passing in the night. Ironically, it's another Coast Guard podcast. Hey, what do you know? That's a thing. There's ships, not boats. Just remember that. Yeah, I guess ships, boats, cutters. I know. I never cared. I always hated when people did that. Yeah, I did too. I never cared. Yeah. So when when we last left off, I think we were I was still talking a little bit about the Harriet Lane. I hadn't quite gone to A school and we were a little bit all over the place. And I was thinking yeah. about this when we were when we were offline. What I really like to do uh, is is uh, is because well, these Coast Guard podcasts, I think we struck gold with this, uh, <laughs> at least for us. Everybody else <laughs> can give a shit. But for us, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's fun. So uh, I, I want to get to the point where both you and I uh met up for the very first time in key west but obviously our time in the coast guard prior to that is different so mm. i'm going to cover a little bit about my uh of my harriet lane stuff i didn't talk about last time and then i really do want to i want to make this a doug centric podcast okay i want you oh, to talk dear. about your your a school experiences and and so forth but real quick a couple stories i wanted to tell about the harriet lane uh first uh uh, yeah, we, you know, everybody wonders about the Coast Guard doing drug busts. The thing with most uh, cutters, especially in the Caribbean, they'll usually sit in, in those areas between the islands, like, you know, between Cuba and Hispaniola, which is where Haiti is. And those are called choke points, and you wait for drugs to come by. And the boat didn't have a lot of drug busts when I was on there. But one time, uh, I don't even know where the hell we were, but but a plane flew over, and I guess uh, the big white boat with the big orange stripe, they didn't freaking know what they were seeing. And they started chucking cocaine out of their plane, and uh, the <laughs> cocaine actually started splashing in the water all around us. And we pulled two and a half tons of cocaine out of the out of the ocean. So while nice. I was on the Harriet Lane, we made a drug bust, two and a half tons of cocaine. And, uh, and yeah, that happened. It was pretty cool. Nice. Uh, you know, they bring it up on the fantail. They secure the fantail. Everybody can go out and take pictures with it, which I did. The one thing I did do that you weren't supposed to do is we actually had the uh, plan of the day. And the plan of the day, if any, the plan of the day, if anybody's curious, is just like our newspaper underway. And it's just like this one sheet that kind of tells where we are and what our sailing schedule is going to be, maybe what the next stop is. And you're not supposed to take it off the ship or off the mess deck. But I saved that one because it talked about how much uh, of a drug bust it was. And it was two and a half tons. That was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And uh, and other things we kind of mentioned last time about standing watch. If anybody's kind of curious about what you do on a ship underway, uh, if you're part of what's called deck force, which is uh, individuals that take care of the boat from the uh, engine room up, or if you're, or if you're part of the, uh, what do they call them? Engineer, I guess it's the engineering engineer department. Engineer Yeah. Uh -huh. Everybody, they take care of the engines and all the stuff that takes care of the boat, like the, the water, uh, the, the, uh, the evaporators that make water and all that kind of stuff. You stand watch underway. That's what you do. And usually you it's eat, four hours. Sleep, stand watch. You eat, sleep, stand watch. Yeah. And it, there's mm -hmm. other people on board that don't do anything. And uh, like there's, <laughs> yeah, you know, well, there's like the medical people. <laughs> yeah. Right. And they're, they're sometimes referred to as luggage. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm okay with that. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, when I was on the icebreaker, which will come, which is a story coming up many episodes later, uh, I didn't stand any. I said no watch. I didn't stand watch in port. I didn't stand watch underway. But I. But when bad things happen, they needed me. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing I was going to mention uh, about about being on the Harriet Lane uh, was. Uh, uh, yeah, because I wasn't going boats and mate. Like they basically treated me like even like the lesser of the of the deck force. Like if you if you wanted a a real pathway for the excitement and deck force and so forth, you said you were going to strike boats and mate. Uh, boats and mate didn't have an A school, and uh, so you had to strike it. And if you were striking boats and mate, then the people running deck force took a real interest in you, and they like to do things like drive the small boats and do all the fun stuff. Mm. But my whole job is painting and and so forth, and mm, uh, and of course scraping barnacles. Right. And standing watch, when I stood watch, I would do lookout and I would uh, basically a helm, which is the person you're not you don't drive the boat. You're basically the steering wheel. They tell you uh, how which way to go and you move a stick and you point the boat in that direction. So you don't have any say of where it goes. They just say where to go. Mm-hmm. And and uh, that was about it. So the Harry Lane, 11 months and at the end of 11 months uh, around uh, around, I think, uh, 1990, 1991, late 1990, I went to Petaluma. So, all right. So, tell me about your A school experience, uh, and when first when did you go to A school? I so I joined the Coast Guard in '83, and then got, got in August, and then I got down to Key West as my first duty station in uh, late '83, maybe early, yeah, late '83, probably like some, you know whatever it is, October or something. Um, but I was on the ACE and navigation team for a little while. And then I think we talked about this last time I, I went and worked as a mess cook and I actually started enjoying myself. And so I put in for cook school and I stayed, uh, I stayed there for, I want to say it was like two or three more months before I went to, to a school, uh, which was also in Petaluma. And, um, I had no clue what I was getting myself into, but the thing that I always remember the most about a school is that is the first time in my life that I actually was learning something that I chose. So in other words, I I was not a good student in high school. Um, I was, yeah, go, you're going to say, I was going to say, I was going to, before we get too far into this, tell everybody what a, what, what we, when we say a school, what does that mean? Yeah. Uh, I don't even know what the A stands for, but it's a, uh, I don't think it stands for anything. I think it's just, the, it's a, cause it's the first school you go to like there's a school and then, and then there's C schools that come later, I guess. Yeah. So there's no B schools that I've ever heard of, but I don't uh, think so. But no, yeah. so all it is, all it is for is your, is your primary job training. So I knew nothing about being a cook. I went to a school. I came out, I was an apprentice cook. Like I was, you know, just, you learn the absolute basics and then you go and on the job and you start learning the actual, the skill and the trade and all of that stuff. So, yeah. And the majority of the majority of, of, cause so the coast guard has enlisted and has officers, the enlisted, uh, they all have to, when they come out of boot camp, they're not rated, which means they don't really have a job. Then they, then they pick a job. The vast majority of them have, have, and have, have an A school. I think the only one when we were in that you could, that help, that was strike alone was boats and mate. And there were some mm, other ones. So. Yeah, and you could strike. You could, could. That's why I asked you one time. You could actually strike SS cook. You could, but mm-hmm. you went to A school. Yeah, what strike means is you don't actually go to school. You just learn on the job. And apprenticeship. Then eventually, you, yeah, you apprenticeship. Yeah, and once you gain enough knowledge, uh, you go and, and you sit down and take a test. And if you pass the test, then they promote you. 
um, as if you had gone to a school. But, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And you take tests and all that kind of stuff. The one yeah. thing the military, the military does really well is test you. They have all kinds yes. of freaking tests. And, 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 uh, and yeah, when you come out of school, you you end up usually getting promoted—not always, but usually promoted to like a, a, a petty officer and and so forth. So, uh, but the A school and every A school is different different length. It's a, it's a tech school. Uh, mm. You know, you're not learning English, you're not learning math, unless you know maybe mm. some you learn some math, but but it's very directed towards a a job towards your profession. Yeah, and the and the and the army has like AIT. The Air Force, I think, has AIT. A schools with is what the uh, Navy and the Coast Guard have. Okay, right. so off. So so when did you go? When did you go? To, uh... Uh, it was uh, it was. I don't even think I don't even think I was in in QS for six months at that point because um, when I went to A school, I was still in E two. You graduate boot camp as an E two. You start as an E one, <laughs> and you, you come out of boot camp as an E two. And I was still in E two when I went to A school. Um, because I graduated A school as an E3. Um, but uh, with typically, you wait long enough. Uh, you, most people graduate A school as E4. Um, but anyway, so but the thing that I remember the most about A school, other than a couple funny stories that I'll tell you, I um, <laughs> sort of made myself laugh <laughs> thinking about these stories. Um, but I, I remember that's the first time that I was doing something educational that I actually chose to do. So I was a terrible student in high school. I barely graduated. I hated it. Um, but for like a, a light switch went off or something, man, it was like I, I, it clicked and I went to a school and I was studying this stuff that I was actually interested in. And I graduated first in my class because I was, I, I applied myself. And um, so I was always real happy with that. And I, and I kept that trend every school I went to after that, I ended up, graduating first um but anyway yeah so a school was fun it was it was uh there was a lot of for, for cooks anyway there was a lot of uh, early mornings of course you're making breakfast for everybody and it takes a couple hours to prep it so you got to get up and do all of that stuff and they literally are teaching you the, the first couple of weeks is classroom and they're teaching you like how many quarts is in a gallon how many pints is in a quart how many cups is in a pint and so on you have to learn all that real basic math on how to break down recipes and um, so all that, and I excelled, I was, I was good at that. And then, uh, yeah, you just start going through and then, and they have like classes prior to you that are cooking the meals for the people on the base. And then the junior classes come in and then maybe one day we'll just do like the potato dish or something. And then the next day we'll come in and we'll do the vegetables or dessert or whatever it is. And then eventually you, you get more and more of that. And by the time you graduate, you're cooking meals for the entire campus which is there's a lot i mean there's like four, four or five schools there which is mm -hmm. you know several hundred people um but as you go through they're they're kind of strict you know you have to follow these recipes to the t <clears throat> and uh i can't remember what i was making but i looked at this as like this is no big deal man it wasn't like scientific i was baking or something i was making like green beans or whatever it was and uh it called for I don't know, a quarter of a cup of butter, let's say. So I didn't measure the butter. I just looked at the stick and I whacked off a little thing and I threw it in there. And my instructor saw me and he came over. He's like, what are you doing? I said, ah, I'm making green beans. He said, can you measure that butter? I said, no, I eyeballed it. He, goes, <laughs> he says, oh, you eyeballed it. Yep. He says, I'll tell you what. When we're done with lunch, you're going to go eyeball those trash cans. <laughs> so 
So I, I had to go out back after lunch and literally scrub the inside of all of the trash cans out in the back of the dumpster area. So um, I didn't eyeball shit anymore after that. <laughs> I've joked around about him in a previous podcast, but everything's got a recipe card, right? Everything. Yeah. Oh, it absolutely. Yeah. The, the other thing I found interesting was that, that I, it was my first real experience in the military, like really the group dynamics, the human group dynamics, because I was the Aton team. There was like four or five guys and I had one roommate and I didn't really socialize with anybody else on base at the at that point. Um, but when I got into cook school, there was like 20 or 30 of us in this class and we all were in a, a barracks and you had a roommate and we all kind of hung out together and studied together and all that. And I developed this little flirtatious relationship with, with uh, one of the girls in the class. And, um, uh, her and I, I think it started when we were, we kept passing each other uh, for number one in the class. So I was number one and then the test would roll around this week and then she would outdo me and then I would be two and she'd be one and the next week I'd overtake her. So we, we developed this little rivalry and, uh, and that turned into a little bit like, hey, I kind of like this girl and she kind of liked me. Anyway, the funny story, the funny story is uh, somebody had a car. And in a school, that's a huge deal. Like you're mm -hmm. totally trapped on the base for, for however, whatever, eight weeks, nine weeks, whatever it is. And um, so somebody, I don't know if it's a friend or an uncle or something, somebody had a car and they were going to go to the beach. And uh, I, I grew up in Florida. I thought, shit, we're going to the beach, man. But it's Northern California. And the beach is not, you don't go swimming in Northern California. It's freaking freezing. So uh, anyways, they're like, yeah, man, we're going to the beach. Who just wants to go? I'm like, oh, hell yeah, I'll go. Let me invite this. I'm going to invite this girl. This is my chance, you know? So uh, <laughs> I invited her, and she's like, yeah, sure, I'll go. And I, I'm I, hand on heart, Tony. This is a true story. We meet up in the, like, the little uh, rec area uh, where everybody was getting together to go to the beach. <laughs> and she came out in a pair of shorts, of course. We're going to the beach, right? And the shirt, like a sleeveless kind of a shirt or something. And this chick had more armpit hair and leg hair than I did. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> and I was, I was all of 19 at this point, you know. And so uh, so I said to her, I'm like, I, I, so I was so stupid. I'm like, oh, you're going to shave your legs before you go to the beach? <laughs> And she's like, <laughs> and she says, no, I don't shave my legs. And then she raised her hand. I can see the pit hair. She had like this big, massive ball of pit hair. And, uh, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> I made some, some stupid reaction anyways. And guess what? That relationship happened to be over in that very instant. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I got the evil eye and probably a couple of few words that I can't remember. But, um, yeah, she turned around and stormed off. And so I looked at my buddy. He's like, damn, guess I'm not going to the beach. Damn. <laughs> so that was it. Yeah, that ended that. But the, 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 the capper is I, I kicked her ass. I ended up graduating first. So. Did, was the conversation with her always over after that? Does that never, we never got, oh, yeah. never got past that? No, okay. I don't even know that she ever even talked to me after that. So. Oh, man. Apparently she was an early, early feminist. But uh, yeah, I, I didn't know shit about shit, man. Ah, but you know, even then it's kind of like, you know, I I get where you're coming from, but also I also know that you had that, that young, you know, very, very early 20 year old brain where, you know, stuff just come gobbledygook, just kind of falls out your mouth. It happened to me yeah. too, right? You know, no filter, yeah. yeah, yeah, no filter, right? You know, and so, so you know, uh, you know, you have your you have your preference, but it's also like, yeah, I could probably, I probably could handle it better, you know. So yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs>
I can even tell you like back when uh, uh when I was much younger, I, I regret some of the things I've said to people, you know? Oh yeah. Cause she's just an idiot. Yeah. So yeah, I'm an idiot. I was an idiot. This is why, this is why it's difficult for me to take young people seriously when they're, you know, bitching about whatever they're bitching about today. I'm like, okay, now I know what my dad was talking about. Like, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. You know? Sure. Also, like I've actually run into some young people that, that seem to be pretty lucid and I'm kind of like, wow. Well, your nephew for one, the bike rider yeah. that we talked to. Yeah. That dude is so smart as a whip, man. Yeah, yes, yeah, definitely. No, anyway, so yeah, I left there. I, I graduated first, and I was I was proud of that, and I did real good. And um, I got stationed on the Ventures after that, which is out of L.A., uh, which is I was I was happy with, man. I liked California. I really did. This was 1984, and um, yeah, it was fun. So uh, off I go to the Ventures, which I didn't know anything about, just you know, ships or eh, I didn't know nothing about any of that. And um, so I go down there and. Uh, gosh, that was a that was a crazy wild time. I think it was a wild time in the whole world, but in, in my experience in the ventures, it was crazy, man. I got there, and it was a first class. It was an E6 running the place, and he was the scuzziest, slimiest. He looked like Barney Fife on crack. He had green teeth. He didn't bathe. He was he was stealing stuff from the military, and he was just a dirty. Yuck, human being. Anyway, uh, it was him and two other third classes, and I was uh, I was an E3 cook, brand new out of school. So <laughs> this guy was, I don't, I don't know, I can't even describe him, but anyway, he was useless. So I didn't even get a schedule or anything my first couple of days, and then um, the two guys that I were working with, the other cooks, one was named Gonzalez, and the other guy was named Claire. And... Uh, we ended up all three of us ended up being super good friends because we 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 lived through some difficult stuff. But uh, yeah, they told me one day uh, I forgot which one of them was told me one day he's like, "Okay, man, you got breakfast tomorrow." I'm like, "Wait, what? <laughs> I what the hell I was doing?" And um, yeah, man, you got breakfast. Breakfast at six tomorrow. It's on you. I'm like, "Oh shit!" And I I remember I woke up like I I supposed to be to work at four thirty or something, and I woke up at like three in the morning, man. You know, I took my shower, I got my whites on, I got all like I was all super prepared, and I went in there, uh, opened up the galley, and and I didn't even know where the eggs were. I didn't know where the I didn't know where anything was. So I'm like, hmm. Okay, let me start digging around. So I started digging around, and I just kind of wung it, man. I had no, didn't know where the menus were, or any of that stuff. So I just made bacon, I made eggs, I put the bread out for toast, I made coffee, and everybody seemed to think it was perfectly normal. So I'm like, okay, here we go. And then by the time those guys got up, they showed me where the menu was, and I started making lunch. And yeah, I just kind of fell into it and just rolled from there. But um, that was that was a crazy unit, man. That was the time. That was the time in the Coast Guard. They were just there was no women on ships yet and they were i was there for like six or eight months and they started letting females on board ships and uh, so i went to the whole transition uh just like we talked about last time they went through that transition where you couldn't smoke inside anymore either um but yeah i remember there was there were people that no joke I, i'm not exaggerating they would smoke while they were eating yeah and uh it was, it was ridiculous man on the harry lane we didn't have any women the only woman we had was the xo and uh, yeah, she was pretty scary looking. But like after four or five weeks out, you're thinking, oh, it doesn't look too bad. <laughs> that became the joke for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not like I just made that shit up, right? 
Yeah, no, it definitely turned into that. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, that so that ship, we, we were based out of LA and we went from, uh, we did we did port calls down at Mazatlan and Puerto Vallarta and Acapulco and all the way up to, uh, to, to Seattle. Um, we never made it to Alaska, which I was very happy about. I just, cause I all I ever heard was horror stories about 30, 40 foot waves up in Alaska. Mm-hmm. And um, I got seasick like a son of a bitch, man. The first couple of times we were underway, I was, I was down and out for days at a time. Still had, still had to cook though, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I eventually got over that and it, it became fine. But uh, still, when we used to throw trash over the side. They probably still throw trash over the side. No, they don't. They they save it all. Well, I know they. I know we had a trash room, and on the trash room, which was filthy, but uh, but we would throw we throw organics over. We wouldn't throw. Yeah, we well. This is back when I was on. We threw everything over. You literally, you just you just ripped a hole in the trash bag and you threw it over the side so it would sink. That's it, and this whole trash bag. So yeah, sorry, sorry, environmentalists. We contributed to the big plastic island in the Pacific. But so. Um... So what what year was that? What year were you on the ventures? I was on the ventures from eighty four through eighty six, late eighty six. Okay. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, after that, might it might have been even have been eighty seven. I can't remember exactly. Some somewhere around in there. Before before you go off the ventures, tell the story about the uh, the guy ordering stuff. <laughs> yeah, you told me two story. You told me two stories about the ventures. That's one I want you to tell. Go ahead. Yeah, so this dude was great, man. So uh yeah, this guy, um gosh, I'm trying to remember his name, something my tongue. You you and him are were like kindred spirits, man. I I think when I met you, I was telling you about that guy because you reminded me of him. And for the right now I cannot remember his name. But anyway, he was a radarman or a radio repairman, something, one of those tech guys. And uh, him and I played Dungeons and Dragons a lot. And uh, so he had he had uh, his little shop was up way up high on the ship and they kept it air conditioned because he had this electronic equipment up there. And I was in the galley where it was a thousand freaking degrees, man. It sits right over top of the engine room, you know, and plus we got all the ovens and the steam kettles and stuff. So I was always so awesome when I could go up there and hang out in his shop and get a little cool air. So in the evenings, I'd go up and we'd play Dungeons and Dragons. And I'm up there one day and he's like, hey, man. I got uh, I did some, <laughs> I did some uh, microfish ordering today, and so uh, did, did we talk about microfish? No, we haven't. Yeah, so uh, microfish is basically it's a sheet of plastic that's I don't know five by five inches, and it's got this incredibly small writing on it, and you put it in something that's similar to like an overhead projector. And uh, it's got a magnifier on it, so you can it magnifies the text, and you can look through. And that's how uh, the military used to have lists and lists and lists of items that you could purchase through the supply chain. And uh, so anyway, he, he said, "Yeah, I did, I did some microfish ordering today." I'm like, "Oh, no kidding! What'd you do?" He says, uh, "Just just, inter- just interject something one time. What's available in the military makes a uh, makes Amazon look like a Circle K or a Seven Eleven." Yeah, yeah. Everything is on those microfish, right? Everything is yeah. in the manuals. You can order pretty much anything. Well, to, to give you some idea, this is I'm gonna I'm gonna make up the numbers, but I don't think I'm too far off. One microfish sheet would contain probably five or six thousand items, right? On this little five five by five or six by six sheet of plastic, and there was an index of microfish sheets that filled filing cabinets. 
I mean, so that would give you some kind of an idea. Filled what now? Say that. Say that again. So uh, there were there were filing cabinets that were indexed by number of microfiche. So there was there was literally hundreds of thousands of items. Um, so you just had to know, like, if you wanted to order a coffee mug, for example, or for the for the galley, you know, that was. That was a, in the 10,000, it was sort of like the, the Dewey Decimal System, you know, it was like, it was categorized and very organized and all that. So you just had to know in the 10,000 group was, you know, dishware for kitchens and you had to go through all of that shit and find. And <laughs> the descriptions were ridiculous, right? Cup, brown, plastic, four ounce, with handle, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. So anyway, let's get Gary Stark. That's his name, Gary Stark. So Gary, if you're listening to this, Hit me up. I'm pretty sure Gary won't be listening to this. But, but anyway, so yeah, I, he says, yeah, I did some ordering today. I'm like, yeah, no good, much order. And he always ordered like, you know, electronic stuff or whatever. And I thought he was going to impress me with some, you know, diode or something, whatever. Shit that I didn't understand. He's like, I ordered a box kite. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, ordered a box kite. And I'm like, shit. He goes, yeah, and a guard dog. I ordered a guard dog. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes and i ordered a missile but that didn't go through <laughs> <laughs> a missile like a nuclear missile right uh, no i don't know it was a patriot missile or what you know they didn't happen back then but whatever some kind of missile yeah. he, he didn't get the guard dog either but he did get the box kite right he did get the box kite yep and he got the box kite so yeah crazy man and he built it and flew it I'm not sure about that. I never was part of that, but uh, yeah, he did. Uh, he did get the box guy, which he was very chuffed with. Yeah, yeah. And you, so, so just so you, so everybody kind of understands. There's there there were sheets where you could order box guides, dogs, and missiles, <laughs> and missiles all on the same sheet. And God knows what else, man. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. Amazon eat your heart out. And what I was saying before is, is rather than I'm sure it's all computerized now, but. You would, you would take these sheets, they're called brown sheets, and you would fill these things out and and you would list out the things you needed and you had to fill out all the stuff and you gave, went to a storekeeper and you gave it to a storekeeper and they would usually process it and all that kind of stuff. It was a yeah. it was a process. The, the military was all, I mean, uh, Doug mentioned in the, uh, in the in the when we talk about boot camp, the, the, the military, when we first came in, ran on paper, floated on paper. Yeah, mm. yeah. no doubt, no yeah. doubt. And I, I remember, uh, not to jump ahead too much, but I remember... When uh, if you needed anything, if you just wanted to like let somebody cross the the base know that they needed to come over and and uh, get their immunizations, I had to fill out a memorandum of record and send it to them. And I remember when they were like, "Hey, we're going to get rid of memorandums and we're going to start using email." And I was like, "Blasphemy!" You know, it's like, yeah, exactly. It'll never work. Yeah. So no, we don't need to do all the paperwork anymore. We're just going to do emails. If it, and, but what about my memorandum? Uh, yeah. But. Uh, but what also uh, you also told I think you told me a story too about how you uh, kidnapped a guy's stuffed animal. Oh Jesus, that was a big deal, dude. That was a big deal. It wasn't me that did the kidnapping, but um, yeah. So you, man, uh, it's just so difficult to put into words. Um, you meet some really strange people on these ships, right? And uh, there was a guy who who slept with a teddy bear. And I think the story was that it was his girlfriend's or fiance's teddy bear. So anyway, whatever. You couldn't really expose that kind of stuff without getting hazed like crazy, man, right? This was macho man world. You could not be 
soft or vulnerable in any way or it's, it's like a you know it's like your older brother oh this is just you, i see you got a, a hole in your knee does that hurt and you poke in it you know that's that's exactly the mentality so anyway so somebody discovered that this guy had the teddy bear and everybody made fun of him for a little while and blah 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 and then um strangely enough it was gary starks who, who did the kidnapping of the teddy bear and um I didn't know anything about it. I mean, me and Gary were best friends and we, we spent a lot of time together, but uh, I knew nothing. And next thing you know, <laughs> here comes this dude. I can't remember his name. He was one of these people who like added a French accent to his name. It's like, you know, his name was Davey. And he says, he said his name was Dave Wah, you know, and he was one of them kind of guys. Right. And uh, anyway, he comes onto the next deck and he's screaming, man, God damn it. I want to know right now. You got to tell me who has it or whatever. And I'm like, walk out of the galley is a mess deck is all an uproar you know people are laughing at him and uh, it's just brutal really but uh anyway come to find out this dude's teddy bear was kidnapped and i'm like oh shit you know so uh i don't know hours go by and of course there's rumor mill flying it's like middle school it really is you know this mm -hmm. guy says that that guy says that whatever <laughs> so i go up to, to gary's office for D D tonight and he's like, hey man, check it out. <laughs> he opens up this filing cabinet. There's the fucking teddy bear. <laughs> and he had him, he had him he duct tape his face and he like he duct taped his little paws behind his back and stuff. <laughs> and he took a picture of him. He cut out some some clippings from the newspaper, you know, and he spelled out a little thing. He said something like, something like, you know, we want three sodas and two bags of popcorn or the bear gets it. <laughs> <laughs> he left it on the dude's rack. And he was fucking furious, man. He was just like, he was, yeah, it was crazy. But anyway, so this went on for a couple of days. And, and I swear to God, I mean, Gary was so good at not giving away that he was a guy. And I was staying way the hell out of this, man. I was like, nope, I was no part of it. And uh, <clears throat> so anyway, I don't remember how he got caught, but somehow he got caught. And then uh, the chief gunner's mate decided that we needed to have a trial. So uh, we had a trial up on the flight deck and they brought chairs and they had a, he was the judge, you know, and whatever. And so it, it, there was, it turned into like a fun kind of an exercise after that. But uh, yeah, right. it was, that was a, that was a big deal for two or three days, man. The bear was the talk of the town for a couple of days. Did, did you do shellback or, or a golden dragon or anything while you on that boat? Not on the Venturist, No, we just, we stayed right there on the West coast and, and we didn't go much past uh, Southern Mexico. So, so from there, you were off to Hawaii around 87? Yeah, so that was around, yeah, around 87. And then uh, I, I got stationed in Hawaii, which is happy to get a, a shore station for one and for two. Question before we go too far. Uh, so did, did you marry your first wife yet? I did, yep. We got married in, uh, in Vegas, actually. She moved out to California with me. She was a Key West girl. And, uh, and then we, we just blasted off to Vegas and got married like two stupid kids do, you know? Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, so moved to uh, moved to Hawaii, uh, which we were both like super psyched about, um, well, for the first two or three months. And then it got boring as shit, man. Uh, um, well, were you land or land or underway? I was land. Yeah. No, I was land, which that's the main reason I wanted that job is because it was a, a land bill and it was an exotic Hawaii, you know, to, to interject one thing here. Uh... So when, when you're when you're picking your units in the Coast Guard because you you go through what's called a detailer and and the job that uh, Doug did is a, is is a, was an underway job like most it was usually you know yeah it's about seventy percent yeah yeah and uh, but he gets better picks 
uh, our P our, our uh, SSS or cooks get better picks if they're underway or if they're outside the United States. And I want to say that Hawaii was considered uh, Oconus, right? It was. Yeah. Hence the name Conus stood for continental U S and Hawaii is clearly not continental. So if you're outside the continental U S you get good picks. Clearly you did. Cause you went to Key West next. Well, yeah, I think I got lucky on that one to be honest with you. Cause I mean, the, the, the detailers, they try to, to, to I, I guess this is my perception. They try to be fair. And if you're coming off of an arduous duty station, they try to give you you know better selections, but basically the way the systems work, the system work is there's a piece of paper <laughs> and you put your top 10 picks on there and they, they try to give you what you can get. And if you're coming off of a real cushy duty station, that's it. You're getting underway if you're a cook, you know, because it was about 70% of the selection was underway. Yeah, you worked with one chief down at Key West, man. That, that, I think one of your chiefs, I think, managed to somehow finagle his way without getting underway very much. Yeah, yeah. I think he had one underway. I can't remember that guy's name either, but he had one one ship on his whole career, like 19 years or something. It's shocking. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so yeah, I got to Hawaii we go. And uh, I was actually working... Uh, the, the official name was NAVCAM's East Pack, which is Naval Communication Station Eastern Pacific. And uh, it was a Navy base, basically, and there was a small Coast Guard communication station within the Navy base. And because they allowed the Coast Guard guys to come and eat at the Navy uh, galley, they provided them with one cook. And I got that gig, which turned out to be such a sweet gig, man. I got to play with all the Navy stuff. They get way more money than we do. It's a huge kitchen, all this great equipment to mess around with all of that stuff. But I told the Navy that I was standing inspections with the Coast Guard. And I told the Coast Guard I was standing inspections with the Navy. So I never had to do inspections. I never, I never do any of that stuff. (laughs) That was a cake job. And then uh, the way the Navy does their marks. um, So part of your promotion in the Coast Guard is you get, evaluated uh and and the coast guard worked on a one through seven system and the navy worked on a one through five system so the coast guard let the navy guys rank me and it's real common like a, a, it just anybody who does their job at least halfway decent gets a four out of five in, in the navy right and if you get a 4.5 or a five in the navy you're you're good you know you're really good at your job so they use that same kind of a logic in the coast guard uh, when they were marking me for the Coast Guard, but in the Coast Guard, five out of seven, it's pretty good, right? Mm-hmm. If you got if you got a five, you were average or maybe slightly above average. If you got a six, you were pretty dang good. If you got a seven, you were exceptional. Yeah, they they would use the term, but they use the term four O sailor, right? Yep. Yep. So four was right in the middle, right? So anyway, the, the Navy used their same logic and I was getting sixes and sevens across the board. So I was like, great. This is awesome. But that was a really fun duty station because I was, I was unsure. B, I got to do a variety of stuff. I probably learned more there than I learned anywhere else because I was I was a, a line cook for a while, doing breakfast every day for 350, 400 people. Uh, I was in the back, you know, making lunch in these 80 to 90 gallon uh, steam jacketed kettles, so making big stuff. But I was working with some of these Filipinos that had been in the Navy for 20, 30 years. And uh, they knew their stuff, man. They were very good, and they—they they, I learned a lot. And then I was a I was a night baker for probably eight months out of that three years that I was there, and uh, that was uh, awesome because I would go into work at five thirty in the evening. Everybody else was just finishing up dinner and going home, and then I worked till five thirty in the morning. 
And um, so I had a 12 hour shift, but I was only working two days and I was off two days. So that was good. But I worked with this superb baker uh, named Nick. He was probably about 75 year old Filipino guy, been doing this his whole life. And he would be, he was one of these guys that was like, this is old school tough, Tony, like, you know, like our dads probably were at some point. You know, he would he would go to take a sheet of cookies out of the oven uh, that would have been baking in there at 375 or something, and he can't find the hot pads. Who so just takes it out with his hands and puts it on the counter? I'm like, are you kidding me, man? I'd be I'd be at the medical facility crying, <laughs> you know, like I bleed through time. My, you know, anyway. But no, nah, he was a tough old bastard, man. Uh, but no, nah, it, it was fun. It's also worth mentioning, and and uh, I, I know what you're saying. He was not that guy was not active duty, but. Uh, I guess because he was seventy five, but yeah, no, he was he was a contractor. But in in the Coast Guard and the Navy, uh, uh, like almost like in I think into the seventies, nineteen seventies and on, uh, if you were Filipino or you were black, uh, African American, the only job they would let you do in the Coast Guard was was a ship steward, right? You could only be a ship yeah. steward. Or, yeah. Or porter, right? Porter. Yeah, porter, porter ship steward. And that meant that you basically like did you were like the the mess cooks, right? Mm-hmm. And of course when all that probably mid 70s, early mid 70s, they got rid of the the steward rank, the steward rank mm-hmm. and and uh, those individuals that had been ship ship stewards uh where we could just lateral over to either uh like like storekeeper and cook mm-hmm. were the two, right? Mm-hmm. And so yep. there were there were a lot of Cooks and and SKs storekeepers in the Coast Guard when I came in that had, were originally stewards and and also uh, yeah. uh, Alex Haley the guy that wrote Roots was a was a ship steward in the Coast Guard so yeah. so he you know so it, it it's interesting because I, I just remember there being man there was so many when I came in so many Filipino cooks in the Coast Guard I mean they, they had they was a mafia man it really was because they yeah. those guys they were smart I mean I'm not even picking on them I love them to death I, I learned yeah. so much from those guys but what they did is um they 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 all it was logical right like well geez we've been if you were a steward you were working around the kitchen the whole time anyway and I mean, you know it's a real usually it's a jovial friendly environment so that's how I got into it is is I was learning from the cooks even though as a mess cook they wanted me to do their jobs they would teach me how to do it so I that's how I learned but uh, the stewards did that. And then so when they got swapped over to become cooks, they just a whole bunch of them went in there. And then they just started sharing answers to the test. So they all promoted together. This big mass of Filipino guys all promoted together. And uh, God, by the time they got to E6s and E7s, it was the mafia, man. It really was. They, you couldn't do anything without the, those guys' approval. It was uh, it was interesting. But uh, lucky for me, I guess I was in their good graces. Yeah. I, I never had any issues with them. You know, I mean, they were, you know, they were great, you know, so, but they, but they definitely were dialed in. Oh yeah, for sure. Like we were talking about before, uh, early on, like when we first came in the, 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 uh, you know, one th- and I'm sure it's completely different, uh, than what we were used to when we were in, but, but about the time we came in, uh, certain things changed. And one of those was, you know, the Coast Guard was trying to, uh, trim the top out. Like there was a lot of individuals, you know, you couldn't promote because there were people that were, had been in for 38 years and they didn't, they didn't, you know, and, and, uh-huh. you know, how deep to go here, uh, you know, and on the enlisted side, 
you, it's E1 and E1's boot camp, E2. When you come out of boot camp, you get E2. And the highest, if you stay enlisted, just enlisted, is usually E9. There is an E10. Each each rate has one E10. Only one, yeah. Yeah, so it's it's E2 through E9. And if and if there's a whole boatload of individuals that are E5 or E6, uh, you know the you know that pyramid is lopsided, and and the Coast Guard was like, we're just going to get rid of these guys, you, you mm-hmm. know, and they, and they made a rule that said that if you're not a an E5 by 10 years, we're going to, we're going to uh, riff you out. They called it a riff. Right. And, uh, but we saw those guys, those guys. Riff. Yeah. Riff, riff was reduction in force. That's what it stood for. Yeah. I, I, I remember pre-computer. I remember there was a, 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 two, there were two, one was a boat to mate. What was an MK boats and mate and MK's machinery technician. And again, this is no shocker. The coast guard, the majority of the enlisted are boats and mates and MKs. It's a lot. That's a lot of the force. And there were two in Key West and both of those individuals, like all they did was avoid the yeoman. The yeoman is the individual that cuts your orders. They just avoided the yeoman. They did not promote. And they were able to stay in Key West. You're supposed to rotate every four years. They would have been down there like 12, 14 years. Mm-hmm. And they just never popped up on anybody's radar. It's like their file got lost. I will tell you, and a movie we should watch, uh, just think out loud, is uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it. I tell you what, if you haven't seen it, then then maybe this will, we can do like one of our, our movie trades. Have you ever seen uh, Cinderella Liberty? No. Okay, maybe that maybe we'll do a movie exchange, and I'd like you to watch that. But uh, it's 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 uh, not as good as Mash. But, <laughs> oh darn! <laughs> I'll leave it there. Okay, okay. But uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, uh, uh, you know, promotion was very much based on you know how well you performed on tests, what kind of marks you got, and also availability above you. Like yeah. if people, if, yeah. if you know, so, some jobs got clogged and. And you're you're just going to be in e five or e six for an extended period of time, so you may never. And e e seven is probably the biggest promotion. Yeah. So the, the way it kind of worked is you did you were marked on three things, like Tony said. One is your your performance evaluation. The second is your test score, and then the third is your time and service, right? Time and grade, time and service. And so, um, you know, if there was a hundred and fifty guys in the cook field going up for e six, but there was only five e six spots available, they only promote five guys. Um, so mm-hmm. the other 145 wait it out and take your test the next time. And then if not very many of those retire, E6 is the next time the cycle comes back around. Now there's only three spots available. So those 145 guys plus the other guys start competing. So it was important, uh, if you wanted to promote, it was important to do get good marks and do really well on your test. Cause that means nothing you could do about time and service. But um, and that's where I was saying before I, that the, the trend kind of started for me in um, in cook school where I started taking that stuff seriously. Where you know, as a teenager, I could care less. But I realized quickly, like you got to kind of do good on the test if you want to promote. And to me, the promotion just meant more money. So um, that's I took that stuff seriously, and I always did real good. Yeah, and you just have to do a little bit. Uh, sometimes the, the cut would be zero. Sometimes yeah. they didn't promote anybody. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah. And you really, if you studied your, if you studied a little bit, you were probably studying more than like seventy five percent of the people that yeah. that were taking it. Yeah, no, I studied a lot. Man, I used to make, I used to make my wife go around. My first wife was drive around back and forth in Hawaii. I, I, I had a like, I lived all the way down in Eva Beach, and I worked up in the pineapple fields on the top of the mountain, and uh, so it was like a thirty five minute drive back and forth to work. And we only had one car, so she would take me back and forth sometimes, and I. I made her I made a bunch of flashcards and she would quiz me as going back and forth to work. And um that was just your life. That's what you did, you know? So but anything else happened in Hawaii? 
Oh, lots. Um, I really got sick of my first wife. Uh, <laughs> a, man, I got sick of her. And somebody said something to me once that struck a chord and I'm like, Oh yeah. And he said, uh, he said, uh, and in fact, it was a guy on the ventures. And, uh, I, at the time when he said it, I didn't think anything of it, but, um, after I moved to Hawaii with her and we ended up not getting along very well, um, I remembered it and he said, Oh man, I'm getting rid of my wife and I'm so happy I moved back to a place where her mom is because then she can spend all the time with her mom and use mom as a crush nice. and she stays out of my hair. And I'm thinking, what a dick. And then three years later, so I'm like, okay, let's go back to Key West because that's where her family was. And that's how we ended up back in Key West. But uh, yeah, that actually worked pretty well. I dumped her ass off on the island. <laughs> that that, that conversation is coming up next time. The whole Key West because we're we're closing in on we're closing in on Doug and Tony in Key West. So uh yeah. Thanks. I mean Avengers was kind of crazy, but Key West was off the charts, man. It was oh my god. I don't we could fill five podcasts with the stories. Oh, we're gonna have to. No, I it's funny as we're talking, there's actually and also there are certain there's there's certain stories about Key West and it's a podcast unto itself. That I'm thinking I want to tell that story, but I do also understand that we may need to say, okay, if anybody doesn't want to hear something that's gonna make them think that you know we were you know that you know that you, you're gonna need to fast forward to this time stamp because because you're gonna think it was just nothing and and and, and truthfully and i'm gonna say it right now doug and i didn't really wade into a lot of stuff we were basically like the chorus in the greek theater we just kind of were in the background mm-hmm. going that's fucked up it's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like did, did you, you see that did you hear what this guy did <laughs> did you see what just happened that was pretty fucked up there was a lot of that and and yeah. i'm gonna have to write them all down yeah there's a lot there's a lot there was a lot but yeah. uh so anything else anything else in uh in hawaii um no i don't think so i i, I got a little bit i got <laughs> i got into four-wheel driving up there believe it or not in hawaii um just before I uh, just before I left California, I bought a brand new Toyota. Uh, it was a little thing. That's a two seater, basically with one, you know, like a one bench seat across. I forgot what they would call SR five is probably what they called them after uh-huh. that. That wasn't called that then, but anyway, so it was a it was jacked up four wheel drive, big tires and all that stuff, and I and I liked it. But uh, my friend discovered that somewhere on the backside of the Navy base, there was a trail system. And I think that the the, the Navy base, because it was a communication station, it had a lot of uh, top secret stuff. They used the Marines to guard the, the Navy base. So when you came into the base, uh, there was a Marine Corps guy there checking you in, checking your ID and stuff. And so there was a contingent of Marines, and they used that back there for, for war games, I guess, or, or marching or something. But if you've never been to Hawaii, um, there are parts of Hawaii where the the soil is like slippery red clay. It's kind of like Georgia clay. And uh, that's what was back in this particular area. And uh, my friend somehow, I don't know how he discovered it, but he discovered it. And uh, Wayne Blaylock is his name, by the way. And Wayne, if you're still listening, please get in touch because we had so much damn fun. And he sort of got in my first band and well, yeah, he was a guitar player. I'm going to tell you that story real quick, but uh, yeah, he discovered this, this trail <clears throat> and uh, we went off-roading back there and this is how stupid we were. I was still in my stupid phase. We, we, we went like, I don't know, man, 300 yards down this trail. And there was a tree clearly chopped down laying across the road. What does that mean? 
That means do not enter. We do not want you going on this road. What did we do? We pulled out the winch and moved the log and then drove into the into the area. And we four-wheeled like crazy. There was this great big mud puddle. I don't want to say this thing's probably three feet deep. And we used to blast through that thing at 50 miles an hour. And the, the trees for 15 feet on either side were orange because we sprayed so much mud and water and shit up on them. Um, but my truck was, I got to, I'll show you a picture next time I come over my pickup that was so dirty with that stuff. But, uh, but anyway, yeah. So last quick story, and this is not really Coast Guard related other than I was in the Coast Guard then and, and Wayne was a Navy guy. And, uh, so he played guitar and he's like, Hey man, we should start a band. And I'm like, I don't know how to play. I barely even play the radio, man. And, uh, so he's like, no, 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 get a guitar. I'll teach you. I'll teach you. So I go down to the music shop and I'm like, I, of course, Van Halen was big at the time. So I pick out this cool Eddie Van Halen guitar and an amp and all the cables and all the pedals and all this shit. I pile it all up on the counter. And it seems to be like 500 bucks, which is a lot of money for me back in this 1990, no, 86, 87, maybe. And uh, so I'm already feeling buyer's remorse and I haven't even paid for this yet, right? I'm thinking, oh, shit, I don't know, man. So I'm, I'm tapping my foot waiting, you know, and the guy behind the counter is like, oh, you want to buy this stuff or what, man? I'm like, oh, I don't know. Just give me a second. So I'm walking around and I walk over to the bullet board and I see a flyer for uh, a drum set. And it was like half the price of what I was about to spend. And I'm like, pulled that thing off, called that lady with the drum set. And she goes, oh, yeah, I still got it. I went over checked it out. It was like brand spanking new. And I was a couple hundred dollars. So that's it. That's it. Now I'm a drummer. So I bought this drum set. And uh, Wayne, he was so excited, dude. He came over and said, oh, yeah, it's cool, man. We're going to jam. And he came over. And I, I was in E4 at the time, and I was living in Chief's housing because that's all they had available for me. So it was me and my wife, and we had a three-bedroom house. And so I set up one of these rooms. That's my, my studio, right, my little music room. So Wayne comes over, brings his guitar and amp, and we start, I don't know, we, just, we, we agreed we were going to learn Rat. And that was our first song. But like round and round? Yeah, round and round. So uh, <laughs> I start, yeah, so I, I, I start playing, right? I don't know what I'm doing. I really have no clue. And there's no such thing as YouTube, right, to learn or whatever. I didn't know anybody else who played the drums, whatever. So I'm just doing the best I can do. So we go through this a few times over the course of a few weeks. And then he goes, hey, man, I met this dude. He's, he's a bass player. He's going to come and play with us. I'm like, okay, cool. And this guy was as New York as New York gets, man. Real dark, dark hair, Italian, you know, real dark eyebrows. And you get a five o'clock shadow 10 minutes after he shaves. You know, one of those guys <clears throat> always wore a long black trench coat. And he rolls in with his bass and he's super cool, you know. And uh, so he starts playing and Wayne starts playing and I'm playing. And I could see he keeps looking at me and I'm like, what? And he's, uh, he, he keeps like, giving me the stink eye, you know. And then finally he stops. He's like, what are you doing, man? It's like, oh, well, I'm playing. And he's like, Get up, man. Let me show you. And he sat down and he beat the living shit out of that drum set, man. He was like, bang. And I was like, holy shit. I've never seen anybody play like that. No clue, you know? And uh, so that gets got, just got me fired up. I'm like, oh, hell yeah, I can do that, you know? So I sat back down and that was it, man. I just took a blast it off and I was beating the shit out of the drums. This way. And then we started having a lot of fun because then it was it was energetic, like rock and roll, you know? And uh, gosh, we played together for, I don't know, six months or something. Never got a gig. We never actually learned more than probably two songs. But uh, God, we, we destroyed that place, man. <laughs> Neighbors hated it. Got complaints, the whole thing, but... 
we even <laughs> because I was a cook, we had access, and uh, Wayne was a cook as well. We had access. We we saved eggshells, egg crates. You know the because mm-hmm. we bought a case of thirty dozen at a time, and they came with these flats. Like you can buy the flats of eggs at HEB, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was those things, those cardboard things. We saved them and we nailed them up all over the room, all over that. It was, and it did nothing. You know, we thought it was soundproofing. It did nothing. Yeah, so, but we did it. But uh, anyway, yeah. So you're still, you still like it. I mean, wait, do you have, do you still have a set of drums? No, I sold those uh, in California. I sold those. Um, I'm talking about getting a set again, but. Gigging's hard, man. Gigging's hard. I'll tell some gigging. I'll tell some gigging stories when we were in Key West. I was gigging down there. That was fun. I remember. Yeah. So Fisherman's Wharf. Or not Fisherman's Wharf. What was that place called? I can't remember. Oh, I remember. I, I went to watch you play a couple times, but uh but it was a little club. Yeah, and you and you did promote the E five. You promoted the E five either when you came out or when you left there. I did. Uh yeah, when I left there, I, I got I got E five. And that's I think that's the only reason I got back to back shore units because I promoted. Gotcha. Because Hawaii was shore and Key West was shore. And also it, it's all like, you know, opportunity, luck when it comes to uh yeah. Where you end up next because you know people that transfer like they'll be them they like your the chief we talked about he just got fortunate that all the all the detailer had was uh and the detailer is the person who assigns you the detailer and it, usually it's a warrant officer which we haven't talked about yet and we probably won't or maybe not until later because doug was a warrant but the, usually the detailer is a warrant and they and they uh and they assign you you know and it's it's it's, it's the most hated job in the coast guard because everybody feels like the the detailers out to fuck them you know yeah and uh, and sometimes there's detailers that are awesome, and sometimes there's detailers that are that are you know hell spawn. So it, anything else happen, go down in Hawaii? No, I think I mean there's other stuff happened, but nothing very interesting really. It was really that was a that was a big big part of learning part of my career really in Hawaii. Yeah, so you're in you're in Key West. Now let me get to Key West. So and all I got all I got to do is A school. So I'm gonna do A school, and I'm gonna we're gonna bring it together. And wrap this up. So next time we do do one, it's going to be a, a Key West centric. What happened in Key West? But so <laughs> we so, might have to make that too. <laughs> it might. Yeah, it might. Now that I'm thinking about it, because there's some, there, you know, so there's a lot of stuff that happened to us individually, and there's a lot of stuff that happened to us uh, uh, definitely as a group, you and me together. Yeah. And uh, but uh, so uh, so I go to a school off the off the ship. You know, I you know I had a guaranteed school like I mentioned way back in my my. Uh, uh, boot camp podcast and got on the boat. I, I think what I had, I was required to make uh, E3. Once I made E3, I put my name on the list. I went to the next available school and that's what I did. So, so uh, got on the school, went to Petaluma. Petaluma, as we mentioned, is probably like about an hour and a half North uh, of, of, uh, of San Francisco. And, uh, and it's just a, it's, it's a focused on training, you know, young uh, E3, so forth, uh, uh, coasties on on. I think they've got uh, Corman out there, which I was. They have the the school that Doug went to is out there. Uh, Et is out there. Radar Man was out there when we were there. I don't think they don't have Radar Man anymore. Uh, some other stuff. T. Uh, no, I don't think I, I can't remember. There's a no, T C. T C wasn't even a thing. Yeah, yeah it wasn't even a thing. So uh, so uh, and uh, the school itself, I did fine in. 
you first get there, you, I, I did EMT. I pretty much knew when I started doing EMT, I'm like, okay, I didn't, I didn't know if that I picked the right thing or not, but I, I could do it. I, I, I wasn't number one in the class, but I was probably always like in the top five. Uh, it was the first place I ever saw a physician assistant. Uh, Andy Alobre was, uh, was a physician assistant. I worked with him later. And uh, I just remember when I saw him, I was like, I want to, I want to do that. Whatever, whoever that guy okay. is, man, he, he looks, he, he looks put together. He looks like he knows. I mean, he looked like he, he was in charge because he, he was, he should be, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And uh, just a smart guy. And he actually was the, the, uh, whatever you want to call it, probably the program director for the EMT school. So nice guy, super nice guy. We still talk, you know, we still communicate on occasion. And, uh, and obviously, you know, he's, a, he's one of the, the, there was two PAs and he was one of them that kind of was like, yes, I want to be like that guy. Right. And, uh, and so now that we're kind of him and I are kind of, uh, you know, colleagues, that's kind of cool. But anyway, saw him, you know, and of course, uh, he, he probably if I when I worked with him later, uh, you know, probably about five years later, if I brought up, hey, yeah, I remember you from a school, he'd be like, hey, I don't know who the fuck you are. That would probably be his yeah. response. Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah. so um did a lot of trips to San Francisco, had a lot of good friends uh, that I hung out with there. Uh, and uh Oh, I didn't say that. I, you're right. I, I didn't say that. that's where I got my first tattoo. Oh, it's got my only tattoo. Actually. Oh, yeah. In high school, yeah. I got my first tattoo uh, in uh, on the Harriet Lane, but it was tiny. The first mm -hmm. real tattoo I got was like about maybe eight years ago. But uh, <laughs> I, got, I have like one of my left shoulders about the size of a, it's something like a girl, like it's like a dolphin on my ankle kind of thing. <laughs> That's a tramp stand. I know exactly. It's a little scorpion on my left shoulder. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's tiny and and and, and it's it's right above my back piece now. So anyway. Right. <laughs> but but uh so uh most of the classes were fine. I can't really remember, I don't remember too much about them. Uh I, but I, I do know like like I was probably the only one in my whole class that wasn't fucking somebody else. You know what I mean? Like that that is like a tip, you know, is where a lot of guys and girls come together and and everybody's trying to get laid. I don't know. It just never was my thing. I know that sounds weird. Right. I don't think so. Because I was almost the same way. I mean, yeah, uh, it's it's just that, um, I, you know, me and that girl that I was telling you about, I think we just traded off uh, scores and, and ended up. That's how we I, I wasn't looking for love or nothing like that, for sure. It just it just kind of like naturally came to that and had somewhat of an abrupt end. Probably worked out for the best. But um, yes, I'm sure yeah. it did. <laughs> but yeah, but there was, I mean, there was people that I, I mean, in my class, it was probably just like anything else in the military, it was mostly dudes anyway. And I just didn't really, didn't really gravitate. I mean, I did have a, I did have one friend who was a, a, a woman, but I think, I think I friend zoned her before she's friend zoned me. Uh, I did. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I wasn't completely, I don't want to get too much into it. I wasn't completely like a priest, but it was, it was a thing. Right. You know, and then, uh, mm -hmm. uh, but, every, but everybody else, man, God, it was insane. Uh, I, I bought my first Nintendo there, played Nintendo, got, got, kind of got into gaming. Uh, I do know when we got towards the end of, uh, of the, uh, you know, they, they, what they do is they, they bring you together and they're like, Hey, uh, we're going to have you fill out dream sheets. Uh, and, and we had, we had a, uh, uh, HS1, who was our class advisor. His name was Childs. Uh, he's a good guy. Fine. I mean, he wasn't, wasn't like, you know, he's fine, whatever. Right. But I remember mm -hmm. him pulling us mm -hmm. in there and him saying, uh, uh, right now the core rate is at 110%. There's 110% HS3s out there. And uh, mm -hmm. and so every one of you is going to a large unit. And the, and the Coast Guard, that would be things like Cape May, the boot camp we talked about, the Academy. Governor's Island was a big deal. Uh, now it's closed, but Governor, Governor mm. uh, uh, you know, West Coast, there was like a, uh, uh, 
Kodiak and Alameda and all those places. Long Long Beach, maybe I guess. Long Beach, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, uh, yeah, I don't want any of that places. So, so I, I wanted to go to D, <laughs> I wanted to go to D seven. So, so uh, you know, and D seven is Florida. That I wanted to go to Florida. You know, I didn't get to get to go there in boot camp. I want to go to Florida. So I just went right down the list, and I was like, uh, and and honestly, when you start going down the the uh, uh, east coast of Florida, I think the first place maybe is like. Miami is the first place where they have, you mm-hmm. know, there's two units in Miami. There's, which is pretty low on Florida, but there's, there's a air station, Opelika, uh, base Miami, and then you go down the keys and there's Key West and you go back up the other side and there's Tampa. There was a Corman in St. Mm-hmm. Augustine mm-hmm. on up through, I think there was maybe, maybe there's one or two and, uh, in the air station, uh, maybe, uh, maybe I was, maybe I put air station mobile. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Maybe mobile or something. Right. And, and, um, uh, and then the detailer came. Uh, the detailer that didn't do this regularly, but uh, it was uh, Michael Canatori, who I'm friends with on Facebook, as a matter of fact. Uh, I think it was Canatori. There was Canatori and there was Midbury, but I don't think it was Midbury. I think it was, sure was Canatori came out. And he actually, uh, and, and it was like his last A school. He thought, oh, it'd be really cool if I if I read off the, uh, the assignments, right? But I remember Childs pulled me into his office and was like, uh, hey, I told you 110%. None of these are the places I talked about. You know, <laughs> I would like you to, and he was kind of like, I'm not going to tell you to do it, but I would like you to change this so it aligns with what I told you to do. Right. And I remember telling him, like, a Petty Officer Childs, it's called it. And, and, you know, this is one of my few times in my life where I was like, I'm going to stand up to the man. Right. I said, it's mm-hmm. called a dream sheet for a reason. Okay. I don't <laughs> want to go to Governor's Island. I don't want to go to Cape May, you know. And, and he's like, suit yourself. Okay. And, uh, and he goes, but you're not getting any of those places. And I'm thinking, hey, whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. So what? I, I get K May and and whatever. Can't hurt to ask you. But I remember, uh, I remember, Anatori comes there, and one of my friends, his name was uh, Michael. Uh, like he he uh, he was married at the time, and uh, he had like said, I just cannot. My wife will divorce me if I go to the West Coast, right? And uh, and so he's going right down the list of of where everybody's going and i want to say stanley was made for some reason he, he, he even though he's alphabetically he was uh he was under me for some reason i think he came first but i just remember it that way i'm probably wrong but can yeah. uh can was like uh uh you know his last name and he goes uh kodiak alaska and i remember michael was like <laughs> like literally which is about as west coast as you can get right and i remember michael going like what the I mean, literally, he like lose, and everybody's like, "Don't do that! You're gonna don't you're getting in trouble! You're gonna get in trouble!" Uh-huh. And I think somehow he managed to. I think I can't remember either. He they he managed to get out of it. He managed to uh-huh. not, not that he not that he didn't deserve it. He was a good guy, you know. And and mm-hmm. uh, I don't think he went to Kodiak. I think he ended up going to like either Cape Man. I have to I have to text him or something. I can't forget. I, I mean, I, I messaged him on Facebook, but uh, but they got to me, and the guy was like, he, he's like, you're going to Key West, and I was like. Hell yes, man. I was like, how the hell did that happen? Well, you know, kind of like your, your discussion about going to Isla Morata, you know, yeah, it, that was yeah, my yeah. little secret. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I can tell you right now out of everybody, the 24 so guys I went to guys and ladies I went to a school with, I, I scored. Yeah. I got exactly what I wanted, man. You know, yeah, I mean, everybody else, great. yeah, everybody else went to, you know, th- those big units and, and not that they're bad. I mean, it's land, but, yeah. but, uh, but Key West was, the, you know, I had linchpin moments in my career, and that was one of them, man. You know, changed who I was. But, uh, but yeah, you know, uh, got it, got my orders. You know, there were some other things that happened there, but 
but uh most of us is kind of like bullshit stories you know that probably can't really tell anyway but uh <laughs> but yeah so so you know i ended up uh driving from uh from uh you know san francisco all the way down to uh key west you know and uh and i think the reason i i ended up with i think at the time they had that two they had two corpsmen down there and and the 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 uh corpsman down there kyle who's a great guy amazing amazing uh hs1 uh he uh he he put in for another corpsman and 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 you know it was back then you know usually when you did something like that you had to strengthen a change in your strength or strength uh-huh. uh, in your numbers took a lot of paperwork but somehow he managed to pull some strings I don't think we were even ever really billeted for for three but he managed to pull some strings and I got down there so there I was Key West well yeah lucky that he did that too because we had the Cuban crisis down there at that time so that may have had a lot to do with it yeah, yeah that may have a lot to do with it because. Uh, yeah, but that was a that was three and a half, four crazy freaking years, man. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, well, I'm actually gonna have to make notes about that because uh, because every time I think about, like you just mentioned the the uh, the the Cuban crisis, mm-hmm. and I have like a few stories about that, you know. Yeah, you do. Yeah, and then uh, and then I <laughs> and also I got involved in search and rescue down there, a lot of search and rescue, and uh, that was crazy. So, mm. yeah, I'll tell you my I'll tell you my body bag story when we when we do the. Well, you, you told us about the first time you saw a floater. Oh no, this is this is this is different. Okay, it's different. I'll, I'll 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 save that for then. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. All right. So next 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 Coast Guard episode, Doug and Tony and Key West. Yeah, which is a highlight for us. I'm not sure anybody else cares, but yeah. I got to tell you honestly, for those listening, the first two episodes, or, you know, we'll say the first couple episodes, if or whatever. Yeah, it's a lot of freaking chitty and chatty and all that what the fuck but with us at key west <laughs> there's some crazy shit okay yeah, and, and, and let's just go ahead and say right now okay uh it's gonna be unvarnished we're gonna tell some stories okay, okay yeah yeah okay and I, we'll, we'll start with a little disclaimer look if you're if you're sensitive or you're thinking oh these two guys are are you know they're not the misogynistic or anything like that though Things are going to uh, change, okay? Yeah. It's, it, it was a different time, okay? And it was, yeah. It was. Well, not just, it was not just that, but uh, I think it's important to, and we can probably say this again at the beginning of the next one, but I'm not embellishing. When when we tell these stories about Key West, there is, yeah, this is as, as clearly as I can remember this stuff. And, and it's yeah. pretty clear because you and I have talked about it many times since. Sure. Sure. I mean, I'll do that sometimes where I'll go like, hey, you remember when, and I'll even just like drop it. You remember when blank? And I'm just like, and I'll just leave it there and let it hang. And, mm-hmm. and you'll say, you'll say, yeah, this. I'm thinking, that's right. That's exactly what happens. So, uh, how I yeah. remember it, you know? So, yeah. But, uh, all right. Well, that's enough precursor. It's enough teaser for the, yeah. For the next yeah. Show. So, oh, I, I was going to mention, uh, pre Key West. Uh, and you just talked about Key West before. Like when you were there the first time, though, yeah, you there was like weed everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it was. Uh, that's when we first started really doing drug busts and stuff. And um, yeah, they would just bring it right up to the pier, and and they would we would offload it to E threes and stuff. <laughs> Basically, it was just labor. Yeah, um, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was, and it would stink, and yeah, we. Well, like I said, they were doing they were doing uh, piss tests back then, but they would tell you when they were doing it. You know, like okay, next Monday we got a piss test. You know that kind of stuff. So I guess they had to, uh, you know, just just kind of fade into it rather than just drop it on everyone because they would have lost half their workforce. Yeah, well, and I think you even told me that it was not it was pretty easy to like if you were just you know, I mean, not the people were grabbing handfuls and stuff in their pants, but but it. 
it wasn't hard to. Well, because the bales, the bales, because a lot of times the bales were floating and uh, and that would they would get loose, and so there was loose ganja just you know in the in the boat bilges and stuff like that. So and, you know, guys were collecting that stuff sometimes, but it depends on who. Just like anything, it depends on who was there. Um, some guys were like super strict about it, and other guys were like, yeah, whatever, take it if you want it, I don't care. You know, this it was just a totally different culture than what most people think of as the military. It was almost like mash, you know. Yeah, well, it was, and again, it was, that had changed in the time when I got down there. When I was there, there was no, like I said, when I was on the ship, we made that cocaine bus, and of course, it was cocaine. Let's be clear. Yeah, yeah. That 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 shit locked down. There was like no, you weren't like, hey, can <laughs> I go sure. over and can I go over and look at the cocaine? Yeah, if you want me to freaking hit you in the face with a stick, you can go over and walk right over. <laughs> and, and yeah, but I thought we were friends. We're not friends right now, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, they weighed that stuff, and they were very, uh, yeah. yeah, but. Uh, but that, they, even that had changed. But okay, let's shut up and let people yeah get back to their day, get back to your lives. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, all right. Well, that's all we have for this one. We've actually been talking for a little bit over an hour. And uh, well, ha- travel safe, Doug. Thanks, man. Back to Nola. And everybody, we'll talk to you next time. He looked like Barney Fife on crack. That was pretty fucked up. Round and round, round and round. This has been an Analog Spectrum production and presentation. As always, it means a ton to both me and Doug that you took time to listen to our show. We enjoy making these things, but we get a massive kick out of knowing we have a few friends hearing what we have to say. This is about the fourth outro I've done, so let's keep it short. Please subscribe, share, and if you like what you're hearing, give us a top-notch five-star review. Finally, feel free to email us, Facebook message us, or tweet at us. We love feedback and criticism, as long as it's constructive. And we're always interested in new show ideas. Well, that's all I have for now. The shows will keep coming, I promise you that. Thanks again for hanging out with me and all of us at Analog Spectrum. We'll see you again soon.